Thanks for listening to the Tribe Church Podcast. Our prayer is that these episodes bless and equip you in your apprenticeship to Jesus. Our goal as a community is to become more like Jesus and to offer Him through our lives to those around us here in Austin, Texas. More like Jesus, more for others. For more on our church, check out atxtribe.org. God bless. All right, well, um, last Friday night, uh, our family started our Sabbath. We do Friday night to Saturday evening. We go sundown to sundown. And um, we, we, we enter the Sabbath with a dinner and a meal. We light a candle. Actually, Rachel lights the candle uh, to kind of recognize the, the, the beginning of our Sabbath time. There's all this hustle and bustle around the house before we get to it. We sit down. Rachel lights the candle. There's a meal. There's a spread put out before us. And we ask the kids every, every uh, Sabbath, we say, why do we light the candle? And they all say, because God is our light. And then we, we sit down and we have this great meal and we, we kind of settle into the night, maybe some desserts, and then just kind of relax into the night and get some rest. And I wake up the kids the next morning with some sweets and they just, they know it's coming every uh, Saturday morning. They know that something's sweet. And so this morning, or this Saturday, we had some leftover donuts from a party that we had this week and, uh, and they went right for the donuts. They knew like, hey, dad, you know, like Sabbath. So what are we, you know, there's some donuts over there. And so I, I gave them these donuts and I, every time I give them something sweet, the first day of Saturday, Sabbath, the first morning of Sabbath, I asked them, you know, why am I giving you this? And they said, because the ways of God are sweet. And I want them to, to ingest and to really to feel it in their body, to have an embodiment of, ah, God is good. And then we spend the rest of the day delighting. We, we, we take extra time to read. Uh, I read some of uh, Heschel's book, The Sabbath, this uh, Saturday. I, I take a prayer walk. We we play games together. The kids draw. They, we, sometimes we watch a movie together as a family or whatever. Mom and dad take a nap together. It's a really great nap. Um, we let the kid, but we just delight. We just delight in all that God has for us. And we enjoy the good that is to be in his kingdom. And what we're aiming for is to try to bring a little bit of heaven closer to earth. For just 24 hours, to just experience what it will be like to no longer labor, to no longer fight, to no longer cry or worry, but to just be in time with God. And so as we talk about this idea of rest, uh, what we're going to talk about today is the now and the not yet of our rest and in our relationship to time. Uh, and I just want to warn you right off the bat, we're going to kind of do a deep dive. We're going to look at some text. So Put on your oxygen tanks, take a deep breath. Uh, we will come out of it, hopefully, with some clarity. But we're going to talk about some scriptural text and worldview that is very countercultural. Bronnie Ware is an Australian nurse who spent several years working in palli palliative care, caring for patients in the last 12 weeks of their life. She recorded their dying epiphanies. And she put them all together and turned her observations into a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. The number one regret of the dying was, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life others expected of me. This is the number one regret of the dying. The number two regret of the dying was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. 
Ware says, this came from every male patient that I nursed. They missed their children's youth, their, par their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret, but as most were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been breadwinners. All of the men I nursed, she says, deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. In his observation of the tension that lies really at the heart of this for us and the heart of humanity's relationship to time, the ancient poet of the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible writes this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He says, I've seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. And no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is a gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does this so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been. Whatever will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. What is the burden of humanity as the author understands it? The burden lies in our relationship to time. And our desire to control the outcomes of our limitations that we have within time. And that tension, though we long for the boundaries of time to not apply to us. Eternity is set in our hearts. We are not given eternity to produce the life we long for. To produce what we hope for. The average American, 78.8 years, if you're average. A lot of us we hope to be at least average, right? And so we wrestle with this significance, a life of meaning and satisfaction to produce something in our lives, in our families, in our generation, in our world, something that will endure. And humanity, as the author says, has always been up to that. Whether it was Rome or America or Hamlet or Tesla or whatever it is we're creating. We're after something that lasts in our careers, and our hobbies, and our social playing field. We are burdened by the longings only eternity can satisfy. And yet we live in a very finite, a very limited, very humble circumstance of mortality. And so we strive. Because deep down, we believe that if we do, if we accomplish this longing, if this is satisfied, then somehow we will feel at peace. Our striving, our earning, our pushing, our competition, it will cease and we will have peace and rest. So we fill up our time. Because we can't control when winter comes or summer arrives, and, and we can't control the setting of the sun. We can't control the aging of our bodies. I'm sorry, as much as we would wish we could, we cannot. But we can control our calendar. And so we train ourselves through technique and through efficiency to fit all that we can into that calendar. We, while we can, we strive 
to satisfy something in us that ultimately, ironically, refuses to be satisfied. No matter how big the promotion or how cushioned the portfolio or how beautiful the person. We don't find rest. We're captive to our limitations no matter how much we try. As Jesus would aptly point out, you cannot add or take away a single hour from your life. And the outcome of our striving is often frustration and worry and discontent and disappointment. Another promotion doesn't amount to a life of meaning. Another romance doesn't lead to a better understanding of ourselves in our authentic desire to want to know ourselves. Another achievement doesn't bring a sense of sustained peace that we long for. C.S. Lewis said this, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. The eternity in the human heart can only be satisfied by that which is eternal. And where can we go to shape this direction of our heart? Where can we go to live in the now and the not yet of eternity? Where can this be actualized? Is there a practice that we can place our bodies and our hearts in time into that will reorient our heart? Not towards temporal things that don't satisfy, but towards something eternal that satisfies. Hebrews chapter 3. You guys doing all right? Okay, good. It's quiet. I'm going to take it as a good sign, though. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. And this is a familiar passage that many of us have read, but I want to provide just a little bit of a a deeper understanding, a little bit of a new lens to put over that I think will actually help us understand the author's point even more. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, he says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily. As long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end. And as just has been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. He's quoting from one of the Psalms. Who were they who, who heard and rebelled? Were, were they not those that Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom he was, whom was he angry with for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. And that idea of unbelief, it's not uh, a mental ascension of agreement that we make, right? In the Hebrew language, in the biblical language, this, this idea of belief was action. Taking action based on something you know is true. And they wouldn't take action. Now, if you know the story of Israel and you know uh, they, were di- they died in the, in the wilderness, and you know why, because there are these spies that went into the promised land to go check it out and say, hey, this is, this is what God's promising us, and they came back, and only two of the 12 were like, this is going to be great, we should do it, and the other 10 were like, this is really bad, there's giants there, and there's all kinds of you know, warring parties and other people that will destroy us, and, and the, the whole Israelite, they all gave into fear, and, and they, didn't go into the Isra- they didn't go into the promised land, and 
And this was the, the, the tension that lies there in that story of Caleb and Joshua. Um, and it was true, but, but, but there's something else. There's more to the story, as the author of Hebrews is saying. There's something about this promised land and a promise of rest that would be there. And somehow, in their giving in to unbelief about the promise of God, they missed out on the rest that God had in store for them. A lack of trust in God equal the lack of experienced rest with God. Does that make sense? Take a quick detour with me to Ezekiel chapter 20. Then we're going to read some more here in Hebrews. The prophet uh, Ezekiel gives us a fuller picture of this, this actual account of Caleb and Joshua and this whole scenario and, and what happened in their missing out of the promised land. There was actually more to it. In Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 13, he says this, Yet the people of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not follow my decrees, but rejected my laws, by which the person who obeys them will live. They utterly desecrated my Sabbaths. So I said, I will pour out my wrath on them and destroy them in the wilderness. But for the sake of my name, I did what would keep it, I did what would keep it from being profaned in the eyes of the nations whose sight I had brought them out. Also, with uplifted hand, I swore to them in the wilderness that, they would, that I would not bring them into the land I had given them. A land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful of all lands, because they rejected my laws and did not follow my decrees and desecrated my Sabbaths. So Ezekiel is saying that their lack of belief and that, that lack of trust in God, it was proven, it was lived out in their lack of willingness to rest in God. Sabbath, it was commanded in the Old Testament. It's, it's not commanded in the new covenant in Christ, but I think we'll see it still has something deeply beneficial to offer us in the creation rhythm of life that you were made to live in. But for the people of Israel, Sabbath, it was a law, but it wasn't just about stopping work. It was more than just resting physically. It was about anchoring their identity and their desires and their trust and their security in the rest that would come only from their God, not from their striving, not from their doing or producing. It was about placing the eternity that was set inside of them into the one who is eternal to find rest. They refused, though, to trust him in that way and to believe his story for their lives. And they suffered for it. They missed out on the promised land. They missed out, as the author of Hebrews says, on the rest of God because they didn't trust him. Back to Hebrews chapter 12. Sorry, chapter 3 and verse 12. He says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from this living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And so the author is saying that, that, the, that a heart that turns away from the living God, the heart that goes, hey, I'm not going to look to God as the source of ultimate satisfaction and meaning and rest and safety today, is a heart that is missing the mark of humanity. In other words, it's sinful. It ha it's, it's a heart that's been deceived into believing and trusting that there is something else that can satisfy. 
There is someone else that can give meaning. There is somewhere else that can bring rest other than God. And the author offers a practical antidote to re-trusting God with your heart, with your desires, with your longings, with your security and your identity and your satisfaction, a practical antidote is to reorient your relationship to time. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. Later on, he makes an appeal to this aging Christian church to not give up meeting together, as some have become in the practice of doing, because they started out zealous, but over time in their faith, other things started to take more of a precedent. Other things became more important. And this way of finding security and identity and rest in God took more of a sideline. They spent less time finding rest in God. And so he says, encourage one another daily because we only have today. You can put whatever you want on your schedule for tomorrow, for next week, for this summer. You can put whatever you want, but you only have today. As Jesus would say, today has enough trouble of its own. So seek first today the reign and the rule and the rest and the way of humanity that God provides. There is a temptation, though, to believe that in turning our attention away from this living God and placing it in our own agendas, we will find a source of rest and satisfaction to meet this desire, this longing within our hearts. And so we turn away. You and I, we all live in this. We do this throughout the week. We turn away from the God who is present today in this moment, who rules over the day. And we strive to find satisfaction in the building of our careers in the curating of our children's lives and their sports and their activities and their education and their social status. We strive to find satisfaction in attaining more pleasure and more experience in the expansion of our kingdom. And ultimately, we come up wanting, unsatisfied, because we're not resting in God. And so we cram it in seven days a week, but we're tired with work and entertainment and distractions and striving for short gains that are lived out in very quick moments. We, we strive for these short gains like, like shares and likes and increases in our portfolio and growing our social capital, whatever that is, at the expense of our souls. And we can do that and still make it to church on Sunday and still be a part of a small group We can agree with the teachings of Jesus. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, seek his reign and his rule first. Absolutely. Trust God with all your heart. Don't worry. You know, sow into the things that will last. Store up your treasure. Absolutely. I agree with Jesus. And yet we remain culturally just like the world around us. And outside of Sunday or a couple hours in the middle of the week, our relationship to time is the same as everybody else. We're striving to gain the world and yet losing our very selves. He goes on in chapter 4. In verse 1, he says, Therefore, 
since the promise of entering his rest still stands. It still exists. That promised land now still exists. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. He's talking to New Testament Christians, by the way. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who had obeyed. Jump down to verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. You see, the, the promised land was just an illustration for the ultimate rest to come. There remains then... A Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. You live out the image of your creator. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Let us therefore make Every effort, put the work in to entering rest as God provides it. Curate your lives around a deeply rooted obedience and trust in God. Centralize our schedules around the way of, God, of life as God calls it to be. To seek him and the one who truly satisfies with our longings for eternity now. To seek the only one who can make real meaning of this life. To, to seek the only one who can provide the rest that we spiritually long for. You see, we've been talking about the spiritual discipline of, of a weekly Sabbath. And it's been so cool to see how many of you have practiced this and are experimenting with it. I, it just makes me so proud of our community that we hear teaching and we, we just try to start applying it to our lives. I love that about our community. I love that we're a discipleship community. I love it. But we're actually not talking ultimately about just a day out of the week. Are you with me right there? Sabbath is not an end in itself. It is a means to which we willingly surrender our time and our energies and our agendas and our bodies in trust to God to train our bodies and our hearts and our minds to trust God with our time. That he's in control. We are not what we produce. We, we are image bearers of the creator who himself lived in a way of rest. And if we're willing to practice that, if we're willing to trust him in that and in so many other ways, but begin to really sacrificially worship him with our bodies in time by resting, we can readjust where that thirst of our heart longs to be satisfied from. Or am I making sense? That's the heart of the discipline of Sabbath. To rest and to delight in God. And that through that practice of the way of Jesus over time, over years, over decades, like all other practices of the way of Jesus, it takes time. But through that practice over time in a rhythm, in a sacred rhythm of life to reshape us into people who live at rest with God. Seven days a week, not just one. 
who can offer that rest, that little glimpse of eternity, that peace, that joy, that hope to a world that is hurried and burdened. That we trust in a God who loves our soul, who gives us freedom through right limitations. This is the definition of the people of God. This is how he envisioned them going into the promised land. Trusting him at rest and only experiencing more of that. That's still his vision. Is that your reality? Are you becoming more at rest over time as a Christian? As a follower of Jesus, do you only experience more peace over time? On Monday morning, are you at peace on Wednesday afternoon when that email comes in, on Friday evening, right, when you're about to go into the weekend and the thing comes and you go, man, this is just going to, are you at peace? Do you have rest that you can then give away because you actually possess it? Or, or are you left to just trying to be polite because you're a Christian and people know you are? But internally, you're torn up. You're angry, you're dissatisfied, you're anxious, you're worried, and you're just trying to do the right thing because you're a Christian which defines your way of life, the fruit of your life. Dallas Willard said this, we are becoming who we will be forever. Isn't that good? We are becoming who we will be forever. Are you becoming those who love spending time with God? Those who find a deep sense of security and love and wholeness through the holiness of time with God. Or are we being deceived that rest and security, peace and joy and satisfaction are found somewhere else? If so, we may be running the risk that the author of Hebrews is warning Christians, his Christian audience, he's warning them that that may be who you become forever. Eternity with God is written in the scriptures as a place of eternal Sabbath. The goal of this unhurried life is to practice your eternity now. To learn to live in the now and the not yet. John Mark Comer points out in his book, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is his book he wrote, and it's, it's on there as the resources. He says, what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul, and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. And in the end, your life is more about the sum of what you gave your attention to. We make our choices, and then our choices make us. Are you choosing to give your attention to God? It's costly. But you are becoming who you will be forever. You become what you practice. Choices become habits. Habits shape heart. Hearts shape character. Character shapes your humanity. Are you practicing a life, a humanity of hurry? 
of, of trying to find rest in temporal spaces, that eternity that's within you, trying to anchor it in, in temporal things? Or are you practicing the now and the not yet of eternal rest with God? What kind of person would that shape in you over time? Like if you had a regular rhythm of just resting in God, of prioritizing delight and enjoyment in the space that God provides, what, would that, what kind of person would that produce in you over 10 or 20 or 30 years? But we have to accept the invitation into the sacred rhythm. As we prepare for communion, I've got just two more scriptures to look at and a practical thought for us. Exodus chapter 20 in verse 8. <clears throat> this is again, this is the Sabbath teaching in the law. In verse 8 he says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your sons, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner who resides in your towns. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now the Sabbath is it's no longer a requirement of our contract with God as followers of Jesus. But again, I think there's an invitation that is necessary to the experience of life to the full as Jesus is offering it. And if we, if we refuse that invitation, we are actually running a risk of that full life or not. But we tend, as modern thinkers, to think of holiness, especially as Christians, to think of holiness in terms of behavior. Like, I behave in a holy way, or I, that person's behaving in an unholy way, right? Righteous or unright. Like, there's a holiness to behavior. In the ancient world... Holiness was found mostly in special things like temples or mountains or statues and idols. But it's only God. It's only the God of Israel, the God of Jesus, who makes holiness a space and time. And he invites you in to stop, to cease your work you're producing, to be fully available for your friends and your family, to delight in God. It is an invitation to enjoy his rest as a way of life. It is breathing room in your life. It's holy. And when practiced, it makes whole your humanity. It's the space between your pace that you're living and the limitations that you face. We suffer if there's no breathing room in our lives. Right? We suffer. This is a time to make space to breathe and to be with God in a holy time. A time where we're no longer concerned with the emails and the texts and the notifications of work. A time when we're not running late to be anywhere. 
a time when we're not hurrying to get errands done, not even unpaid work, right? Like we're not trying to get, go to the grocery store, get all the things done that we try to do on a day off, a time when we're not praying but thinking about all the to-do lists, a time when we are present and still and rejuvenated in mind and body and spirit, a time when we enjoy our God and all that he has given us. It's so good. But ironically, the number one reason you will not Sabbath, the number one excuse you will come up with is, I don't have the time. Isn't that informative? The spiritual formation that comes from that way of life. So one practical exercise as you consider the application of this practice of Sabbath and its impact on your time to take a day out of the week to stop, to rest, to delight on a seventh-day rhythm, to just, to just be with God, it will require some adjustments. So here's some things to just consider in, in an intentional way if you want to relate to time as Jesus did. Who, Jesus, by the way, was never hurried. So you're following someone who's desiring to shape you into his way of humanity. And he's inviting you into something a way of living at rest. Here's a little exercise to consider. Okay, so plus, minus, less than, greater than. That's the, you know, the alligator eats the, you remember the little math rules? Okay, so some of us have been a long time. Um, Minus, plus, less than, you know, uh, uh, greater than, right? So, what, I, what this exercise is, is essentially just to look at your life and to go, hey, what do I need to take out completely? Like, what needs a minus check next to it? Just to take completely out of my weekly rhythm so that I can find rest with God. Maybe it's commitments to people or to work that you are keeping up with, but it's keeping you from resting. There may be distractions that, like the 24-hour news cycle that you're glued to, or social media, or your games, or whatever it is. What do you need to take out of your current situation so that you can rest? What do you need to add to your rhythm? What needs to go on as a plus? so that you can make more space to rest with God. To get, maybe it's something like, I need to add more intention to my day off to get the things done that seem to crowd into my day of rest. Maybe I need to add time to plan and to coordinate with my spouse so that we're on the same page about this idea of rest with God. Maybe I need to add some intentional chores along the way so that they don't all back up to the sixth day and then I'm scrambling and it's bleeding over into the seventh day. Are you with me right there? What do you need to add? Finally, or third, what, what do you need less of? Not to take completely out of your life, but just in your weekly rhythm to make more space to rest with God. What do you need less of? Maybe it's less entertainment. Maybe it's less Netflix or less Facebook or Instagram reels or less video games or less time on your side hustle, which is really just a second job, if we're honest. And it's part of the reason why you're so tired. We call it a side hustle to sound cool, but it's a second job. It's a second job you're getting paid less for and you're more tired because of. So maybe you need a little less of that. And then finally, what do you need more of in your weekly rhythm to make space to rest with God? More sleep. Can I get an amen? 
more intention with your morning, to have spaces of silence and solitude, to find rest with God before the day begins, to study, to pray, to enter eternity with God here and now, more time to walk in the outdoors with your phone at home so that you can just think and be with God. What do you need more of? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. He will reshape your heart if you accept his invitation to rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we prepare to take communion, let's consider the words of the dying Western man. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And let's accept the invitation of Jesus for us today to enter into a sacred rhythm of the now and the not yet. To have breathing room, to rest as he rested, to make every effort to enter into that rest where the eternity in our hearts is satisfied by the eternal. Let's pray.